Hey there, we're the West Slap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowski. Uh, quite a bit to cover tonight. Um, you know, we got another big chunk of bowl games to preview. Uh, a few bowl games that are already in the can we can talk about. But uh, some big news on the... Pretty, let's, pretty good couple of days here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, big news on the football front. Um, you know, all indications are... I mean, the, the early reports are out. I guess uh, Yahoo Sport Was it Pete Thamel who had it first? Yeah. Yeah, Pete Thamel... Uh, reporting Northwestern is going to be hiring Ryan Smith uh, as the new cornerbacks coach uh, over from Virginia Tech. Um, you know, th- this is a guy who like is was was put in the thirty five under thirty five coaches. I mean, he's been extremely successful. Um, don't uh, we haven't done deep dives into the Virginia Tech cornerbacks, but just kind of looking at Twitter and looking at all the Virginia Tech fans, just tearing their hair out over this tells me that this is a good hire i so i i would phrase it this way right um since it was announced right that it, it you know postseason that the whole deal right bob hefner retiring jeff jenick assuming hefner's responsibility right and and picking up a, a second gig as it were right and then northwestern announcing that they were looking for another cornerbacks coach, which was so head-scratching at the time that a lot of people thought it was a typo and that it was quarterbacks coach, right? And we, you know, we went down this whole road and everything. And since then, there's been so much smoke and so much scuttlebutt. Why did Northwestern do this? What was the hire, right? All these different questions, etc. We don't have those answers. What I can tell you is, regardless of what the truth of that matter actually is, Pat Fitzgerald can now say, I went looking for a cornerbacks coach because I thought I could get Ryan Smith. Because whether like whether that would be a true phrase or not, it is 100% a great reason. You could phrase it like, like in hindsight, you could easily phrase it and be like, well, geez, if we knew we had a chance to get this guy, of course we would go after a cornerbacks coach. His resume is fantastic. I mean, this is a guy who's what he's. I think thirty years old. Is that right? I think he's a little older than that. Is he? You're probably you're right. But I, I mean, he's young though, right? I think it's early thirties. I mean, under, he's under thirty five. Under thirty five. Right, and right, which we know because he's been named right to one of the, like you said, one of the top uh, thirty five under thirty five. Thirty five under thirty five coaches, right? And if you look at his resume. You could say, okay, well, that's based on work he's done at Virginia Tech and how strong he's been at Virginia Tech. But then you look at his resume, and this guy was really one of the best position coaches at the entire FCS level before he went to Virginia Tech. Um, And you can look at his resume and, like, he coached just a ridiculous group of defensive backs at the FCS level. And before that, I think, where was he? I want to say William and Mary. And And he was a grad assistant at Penn State. Right, a grad assistant at Penn State, but at those levels, like I think at William and Mary, I think I remember reading something that I want to say he coached like a running back who switched to, oh no, no, he was a a secondary coach at Elon, 
And at Elon, he had an army running back switch to defensive back and become like an all-conference level player. And then shortly after that, he moves up a level, has all this success at William & Mary, moves up to Virginia Tech, and is viewed as one of the, the top young coaches in the entire country. And I don't know if you guys mentioned it yet. I think you did. Like, Virginia Tech is so pissed that he left. <laughs> like, their fan base and everything. I mean, he was known to be an awesome recruiter, an awesome coach. Um, like, it's it's just, like, I would say, like, anyone who's like, you know, why did we go after our cornerbacks coach? Like, what's re- like I mean, this is an awesome hire. Like, that's pretty much the bottom line here. Well, and in addition to all the um... – you know what's what's really clear in his in his background like he reps he represents a diverse hire for this for this staff in the fact that he's african american he's young I, like that's such a critical thing when you think about how old exactly how the many times the staff have, is how many times have we talked about the media focusing on how fitz is relatively young and ignoring the fact that the staff as a whole right does not have that component well and i think like i think we talked about it a couple pods ago like McGarrigal at age 38 is the youngest and I mean, this, this just like you think about the gulf of age that starts to form right between the guys on the team and, and the guys coaching. And Fitz has been there a long time. And, I, you know, that that I was a Big Ten linebacker, I, I think it probably still matters, but it probably matters a lot less now than it did. Right. Um, so that's huge. And then thirdly, and I don't know, like I shouldn't say this, but at the same time, like maybe most importantly, not a Northwestern background. Oh, I, I don't think it, it's bad to, to run away from that at all. I think new blood. I think that's really, really important. A fresh has, set of eyes. Has worked with a bunch of other coaching staffs at the FBS level. is um, And, and is going to bring in a host of new ideas and perspectives to this, to this uh, coaching staff. Which, again, at the end of the season, we talked about they're desperately in need of some new ideas. And so, I like, this, this hits all the marks for me um, as an excellent hire. You know, I think... The focus on defense, um, at you know, I'm at at the very least like Occam's razor. Um, Fitz is a defensive guy. He wants that to be the identity and and the the motif of this entire team. And doubling down on the defensive side with another coach, like I, you know, shrug emoji, like sure that 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 tracks. Um, so I but like th- there's an obvious data point also that has come off of this. Um that uh, would also seem to point that this is this is going to be a, a net beneficial thing for Northwestern. It's it's funny you say that, and I, I'll let Sam pivot there in a second, but it's just funny because I was just thinking about, to your point, like what goes into hiring like, you know, a great position coach, right? Like ability to relate to the players, energy, enthusiasm, like like love. I'm, you almost look at not a position coach, but a coordinator and look at um, Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame, right? And the way that like, not only did he come in as such a great coach, but he came in as someone who just like won the players over, right? To the point that like when Kelly left, the players are like, this must be our coach, right? And that kind of ability to connect, right? And Kurt Anderson is a guy who absolutely has that. And, and you know, you can look and be like, that was a guy who came in that had all that kind of resume. And you see that same kind of thing with Smith. And I would say that both of those coaches' abilities have been paying a lot of dividends lately we'll just we'll just go there yeah so um yeah we're recording this on monday the 20th uh we just found out that garnett hollis uh t- 
took his name out of the transfer portal. He's going to be staying at Northwestern. Um, I, I know when we were talking about some of the guys going into the portal, uh, that was a name that we were all pretty bummed about, like sad to lose. But, you know, with, with Smith coming in and, you know, being a cornerback, be, ha, bringing in a cornerback's coach, I guess, you know, that was enough to get Hollis to stick around. Maybe there were maybe there were other fact. I mean, I'm sure there were other factors as well. I mean, we don't know who he talked to, who he got offers from. That that's you know nothing we know. But we're just kind of trying to put two and two together. And you know, Smith is hired. Hollis Hollis sticks around. I've said this many times. the 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 position coach is is the coach that has the most important and strongest relationship with the players. That, that's who you spend the most time with day in and day out. That is what matters most. So like like this is this is awesome from the, from the perspective of uh, a, a guy with a lot of upside um, who was what John our fourth our number four corner for virtually all last year is, is staying in, in, a, in a in a season where uh, yeah a lot of guys did not play and the death chart was in stone. Like Garnet Hollis did get on the field and it was clear he was the number four cornerback and. That's probably not going to change. And the guy's really young. And Sam, credit to you. I feel like you put the giant addendum in there because I feel like we talked about this when he first went into the portal. And I was, you know, I was laying out the case being like, look, of everyone that went into the portal, this is arguably the biggest one because he is on the depth chart with a bullet. And you were like, hang on now. Malik Washington did the same thing last year and came back out. And lo and behold, to this point in time, Garnet Hollis is this year's Malik Washington, a player of real importance who went into the portal and then came back out. So it's this, I mean, like Garnet Hollis, we talked about, you know, because I was speaking in past tense or speaking being like, he would have been a starter. Well, now he very likely will be a starter. If not this season, then the next season or the next season. Um, it's, it's, this is great. So again, this is all just positive we got ourselves a great coach and we immediately got one of our, you know, big pieces for the future back out of the portal. Um, another piece of good news that we got today, uh, recruiting looking forward. I mean, the, the 2022 class is all signed, sealed and delivered. We just got our first commitment for 23. And uh, what a it's big a doozy. One, it, what a big one it is. Um, Dylan Senda, uh, the number two center in the country. Uh, the 10th rated recruit out of the state of Michigan uh, t- picked Northwestern over a final two of Michigan State, Michigan, and Northwestern. Kurt Anderson, getting it done. NWO, baby. NWO for yeah. life. It was, it is, it's, it's amazing. And what's wild, and, you know, we tweeted it out when it happened, um, you know, before we get to send us bona fides. Um, one of his bona fides is lighting the kindling right sparking this recruiting class right because you can go back two years and be like after the train wreck that was the 2019 season right we laid out in great detail not just i think we did it on the website we did it through you know you know potting but that northwestern did not have a great historical track record recruiting in the period following a really down season and then Northwestern bucked that trend with a bullet in the period of time between the 2019 season and the start of the 2020 season. And the spark for that was Caleb Tiernan committing, right? Which was such a huge deal. He committed in March of 2020. So again, if you if you work with a similar cycle, about three year, three months 
beyond where we are right now. But he was basically like, no, I am in, right? He was like, I'm in. I'm going. I don't care about last season. I believe in Northwestern. And it was a huge fire to light for that class. And you see Senda even earlier in the cycle doing that exact same thing right now. In terms of Senda's bona fides, aside from what he is doing for the Northwestern recruiting class by committing, I mean, he's the number two center in the country. <laughs> like, what What more do you want, right? Um, it's, you know, it's wild. He's playing center at 6'5". He's 6'5", 274 is what Rivals has him listed at. I mean, that's at the high school level. That's, you know, offensive tackle and, stuff. And that's as a junior. I mean, he's a junior in high school right now. Right. But you watch his film. He plays center. This isn't like Pete Skaronsky, right, where everyone's projecting him. And, like, you had a lot of people being like, Pete Skaronsky, if you look at his height and his weight, he projects as, like, the number one center in the country. Yeah, but he wasn't playing center. Dylan Sendis playing center. Now, that doesn't mean he can't play all across the line. I'm sure he can. But it's possible that you're looking at, you know, a day one type guy at center when he comes in. Um, but, of course, he's from Michigan and had a Michigan offer. Not to mention a Penn State offer, not to mention a Michigan State offer, and was like, no, I'm all in on Northwestern, right? And and, and, and Iowa was in his his final four as well. Right. And I mean he had a Miami offer, right? Like the the carpet was laid out for him, right? Whatever he wanted, he could have in terms of the kind of experience that he wanted. And what he wanted was to go to Northwestern. And it's just it just it's again, I keep going back to Tiernan. Because it was such a big thing when Tiernan committed because we were like, we all needed that win so bad to remind ourselves that about all those things that are great about Northwestern and the way that the recruits see those things, right? And this is the same thing, right? It's Senda is like, no, no, I, I don't care about that season. I 100% believe in this program. Northwestern is the place for me. I'm not signing with the in-state school playing in the college football playoff, <laughs> right? I'm going to Northwestern. And I mean, like, what more do you want? How fantastic is that? You could conceivably, so he's 2023, so Skaronsky may be gone by then. But it's, I think, quite plausible that you're going to see Tiernan Preeb and Senda all on the line together playing as three Northwestern guys that had offers from in-state Michigan. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge deal. And he's, and again, I mean, of course, like, again, his bona fides, he's a top 10 player in Michigan right now. And again, number two center in the country. And which is again, a weird thing because a lot of guys aren't projected as centers, but he's actually out there playing center and snapping the ball and doing all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, you look, you think of some of the the greats, right? Some Brandon Vitable, right? Brad North, right? Jared Thomas, um, and think that he may slot right into that kind of great lineage. And and let's not you know diminish the uh, the role that Kurt Anderson had in it. I mean, we've talked about Kurt Anderson since the day he was hired at Northwestern as being just an unbelievable recruiter and just this dynamic voice that offensive linemen love to hear. And you know, we hear story after story about how different he is as a recruiter and how much that really speaks to not only the kids but their families as well um and you know for you know he's a Anderson's a Michigan guy right and so he's been able to go into Michigan time and time again and get these guys to come to Northwestern it's just absolutely phenomenal 
Senda in his video talked about how he had a weekly call with Anderson where Anderson would like look at his game tape with him and give him pointers and tips and stuff. And like, that's just, that's a level of like personal attention. Um, and frankly, like Anderson's, you know, helping to do that. He, like he doesn't know that Senda's going to come to Northwestern. He's just, you know, uh, being a, being a good, a good mentor, um, and fostering a relationship. That's just, that's cool. I, you know, it's funny you bring that up because it was something that I don't know if we mentioned it on signing day, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit because we had seen a couple things, right? And I think someone pointed out, I, you know, I'm blanking on the recruit and I, I should know this, but the, the handwritten or someone getting like a handwritten letter from Fitz, right? And it may have even been someone peripherally connected to a recruit or something, but got something where they were like, wow. This is just the amount of personal attention here is is really amazing. And it's one of those things that, you know, we always talk about Northwestern's special place. Northwestern does things a certain way. Well, one of the pieces of, like, if you give out so few scholarship offers, right, like less than usually it's like just about every other school in the country except Stanford, right, year to year. Northwestern gives out almost no scholarship offers, right? Well, if you're not giving out a lot of scholarship offers, on one hand, that hamstrings you. But on the other hand, it enables the coaches to spend less time sending offers to every corner of the country and more time devoting themselves to the guys that they really want to come and build those relationships, which is the way that it should be. It should be that way at every school, but it's not. But it is that way at Northwestern. And it's like, again, it's like, it's one of our larger themes year in and year out that we talk about that it's like, Northwestern is a special place. It's not like other places. And yes, we all tear our hair out when we have a season like the season that we just had. But the truth remains that Northwestern is a special place that is different, that does do things a different way than just about everybody else does. And you have these moments where you see that kind of thing reflected, right? And then you fold in the ability of a guy like Anderson to recruit, the ability of a guy like we hope, it sure seems like, Ryan Smith to recruit and make relationships. And then you put them in an environment where they have the chance to build those deep connections that maybe they wouldn't have in another school. And it's like, these are the things, again, these are the things that, that fill us up, right? In these, in, in a long winter like this, right? The, the, uh, the kind of things that give us that boost. Um, so real, real quick, a uh, little bit of basketball talk. Um, Definitely bummed to, to have the uh, DePaul, the Northwestern DePaul game canceled. Um, I guess there's a, a big uh, COVID outbreak uh, in DePaul, so that that's a that, that's a bummer because you know that would have been a really really fun matchup, and uh, you know hopefully we can g- get them on the schedule in years and years to come because you know I I constantly say there needs to be some sort of like you know Chicago tournament. For like Loyola, UIC, DePaul, and Northwestern. Like every year, kind of like the bean pot in Boston for hockey, but like some sort of Chicago based tournament. I think Philadelphia be... does a big one too. Do they? Um, yeah. Um, the, it, you know, what was kind of surprising to me was the degree to which I feel like it, the fact that Northwestern and DePaul was canceled was noticed. Um, and kind of the subheading of that is, you know, if you're looking on paper, DePaul and Northwestern have pretty good records right now. And the team that won that game was kind of going to take something out of it. And that was something that was reported on by multiple people being like, can they reschedule this game? This is kind of a big game for both of those teams. And 
And uh, you juxtapose that with, uh, I think, Joe Lenardi's last bracket, the last team in to the 64 or 68 or whatever it is now, um, is the Northwestern Wildcats, which was noticed by a lot of people. But again, we still have a long way to go and a lot of things have to sort itself out. But I suppose it's nice to at least be in a situation where people are like, hey, Northwestern needs that game. Can they reschedule that game <laughs> instead of who cares? No cares. That's it's a win. If I if I might like just drag us sideways for thirty seconds, um, you mentioned the bead pot, Sammy. Yeah. Imagine imagine the pot of gold. I Chicago I feel like hockey I know tournament where this is going. <laughs> oh, happening boy. in early March, featuring the likes of Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Illinois, and and the Northwestern hockey teams. Wouldn't that be lovely? That would be. Ah. Uh. Someday, Alas. someday, someday in in the new Ryan Field, there'll there'll be an outdoor hockey game, and all the all your stars will align. Someday, if I ever win the lottery, you you'll be damn straight that <laughs> Scousebo Fieldhouse will exist, and we'll be fucking rocking uh, rocking the hockey in uh, in Evanston. Love it. The basketball team did have a game tonight. Um, beat the ever loving crap out of game? Illinois question mark? Yeah, yeah, ninety to fifty. Uh, game that was never in doubt. Um, you know, nice to get a little bit of a, you know, you know how when you're eating a, a cake and you get like that middle layer of, of nice little frosting, you know, you had your, your top layer of frosting, a little bit of cake. Maybe it was a different flavor than you were expecting. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of prime your, prime your taste buds for the, the heart of that cake. Um, that's what this was. Illinois Springfield. I didn't even realize that they had a school, Illinois Springfield, the Prairie Stars. Okay, cool. It's pretty um, good name. Yeah, I, I guess you know for a school in Springfield, which is pretty funny because don't we play Prairie View A and M next? Big fun on the Prairie for the Northwestern Wildcats <laughs> right now. Is Springfield really the Prairie? Yeah, I think once, so. Once I mean, upon a t- once upon a time, you, you hmm. get out. You get out of the city. It's like nothing but prairie from here to the mountains in Colorado. Pretty much. That's, this is what that's... this is what people come to the pod for. Oh yeah, geographical rollout of the the Midwest. I just um, associate prairie with wild uh, stuff as opposed to like just endless corn. But yeah, I digress. <laughs> I uh, so the the one thing right that I will say just as kind of a state of the program kind of thing for Northwestern basketball right now is is this weird place that they're in right now, right? Because I think Maryland, like Maryland's six and four right now, right? So Maryland picked up a win over a ranked Florida team right after that, which was, you know, that helps us a lot. Um, And that's probably that little piece that got us to that last team in situation. Maryland is still, you know, they're a six and four team. Northwestern still is searching. I mean, that Maryland win, the significance of it, we talked about it at the time. And the fact, you know, the, the zero times, right. The Northwestern got into that building and picked up a win with that said, you know, this DePaul game was a major opportunity that goes by the wayside. Now we have, you know, one more cupcake and then that Michigan state game. And I think it's, it's that kind of thing where it's like, you want to believe the media wants to believe, right. Everyone wants to believe we still don't really know too much at this point. And, you know, between January 2nd against Michigan State to January 9th against Ohio State, you're going to find out everything you want to know. 
But until then, you know, there's no reason not to believe. So let's all keep believing. So let us now uh, turn our attention to the Bulls. Um, you know, like I said, we're recording this on, Mon- on Monday night. There's been a bunch of games already. Um, you know, anyone who, who bet the under on any of these games uh, must hate fun, I guess. Because, like, all these games are just high scoring, back and forth, a lot of fun. Um, you know, Coastal Carolina, Northern Illinois, a lot closer than anyone thought that would be. Uh, you know, real, real, real fun times there. UAB upset BYU, um, you know, Western Kentucky, App State. Whew. Talk about offense there. I just want to say real quick that, so I mentioned this on Twitter, but Scuzz is leading the Westlot Pirates Bowl Challenge right now, and Sam is third. And meanwhile, uh, I am four and six in my picks right now, and my daughter is five and five. And her picks are just made by which animal she likes more in the given game. So just want to give myself a big pat on the back for that one. Real, yeah. real, real, real solid work I'm doing. My daughter's seven and three. Um, Bang. Making selections based on I have no idea what. Just sort of, <laughs> she, we went through and I said, here's a game. She's like, that team, that team, well, that team. I mean, she was reading your Phil Steele magazine over the summer. So. Yeah, That's true. Fair, That's true. Fair. Yeah, she's she's five. Yeah, really, we sh- really she should be on the pod right now. Is the she's gonna walk us in a uh, little, little past her bedtime? So I, I don't know if <laughs> if we uh, if we brought Shoshi in right now, she could be like, well, you know, when Ryan Smith was actually a player, his numbers were. If you consult the <laughs> Phil Steele from 2010, um, but yeah, anyway, I I digress. I know she can't gamble, but can she hang out on the riverboats? <laughs> <laughs> Just ask asking think for a friend. So. I, I mean, in Illinois, online like there's online gambling is legal here. We can we can make our bets from our living room. We don't need to go to the boats. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, any other uh, any other early games you guys you know want to at least mention before we uh, start previewing a few more? I just watching. I watched uh, the Northern Illinois game. Right, and Northern Illinois ended up. Um, coming pretty close to picking up a big bowl win. One of the things that I focused on is Northern Illinois, I feel like during the bowls, teams, you know, they tend to empty the playbook and run some of the most ridiculous trick plays. And inevitably that the quarterback walks over to the sideline like he can't understand what's going on and then they direct snap it to the running back play happens, which I don't think has fooled the defense in 10 years. Um and I almost like enjoy watching that play just to watch all the defensive guys being, look, they're running the play where he walks <laughs> over to the sideline. And Northern Illinois tried to run it late in the game, and it absolutely did not work in a crucial situation um, that directly contributed to them losing the game. So uh, let's start talking about a few other bowl games. Um, we uh, left off last episode uh, with the Tax Act Camellia Bowl. Uh, let's take it to Monday, December 27th, a week from tonight. Um, actually, it's a it's a morning I, game. I might I might just briefly point out others other podcasts were also confused about tax act and what it is. Yes, fair enough, fair enough. Um, thank thank you, Mister Google, uh, for for getting <laughs> that up uh, as quickly as it did. Uh, so the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, we got Western Michigan and Nevada. Western Michigan a seven point favorite. You know, not quite a home game, but I mean, pretty much. 
No, none of Nevada's players are playing. So they're, they're uh, awesome quarterback, um, Carson Strong. I, like this was, there was much ado about Carson Strong in the weeks leading up to, um, I mean, I guess this, this came out less, but he was going to meet with a, with a physician before deciding if he was going to play or not. And then like to kind of nobody's surprise that he's not going to play. He's going to go to the prepare for the NFL draft. Um, and, and Jane Norvell left. I mean, their, their coach went to Colorado yeah. state. So yeah, they've got another receiver who's a big deal. It's going to be sitting out. I mean, they're just, they're just really going to be really shorthanded um, and, and lacking some experience coming to this matchup. One uh, thirty on ESPN. Uh, you've got the military bowl presented by Peloton. Uh, don't know what that is. It's not a Peloton. That's for sure. Uh, that's <laughs> at uh, the Navy stadium in Annapolis. We got Boston college and East Carolina, Boston College, a three-point favorite. There's got to be a bunch of guys not playing for BC too, right? I mean, I haven't seen much other than like some a number of guys enter the transfer portal, but not our primary contributors. I mean, the most important one, uh, Phil Jakovic, their QB, is coming. Announced he's coming back next year and is playing in the bowl game as well. So, um, I, I mean, mean, honestly, for me, that could be enough to to put him over the top. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny, like Boston College, you look at the kind of season that they had this year, and it's like, you know, certain breaks going Northwestern's way, and it's like the difference between an absolute train wreck of a season and a season where you find yourself into a bowl, right, is like, Boston College has six wins, three of them are Colgate, UMass, and Temple, um, and like, they, they beat... One at Georgia Tech, they had a 17-3 win over Virginia Tech. That's great. But, I mean, they lost to Syracuse. They lost to Louisville, right? Um, they lost to Florida State. They got destroyed by Wake Forest. Like they're, But yet, again, it's like they won enough of the games that they were supposed to win on their creamy frosting and, you know, just got just enough to get into a bowl game. And you almost look back and you're like, well, I suppose if a couple things had broken our way, you know, Maybe, but um, again, it's like I, you know, maybe like you said, maybe that will be enough for them to get through. Um, this is again not exactly the meatiest bowl game here. Tuesday, December twenty eighth, uh, eleven a.m. Central on ESPN. You got the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl, uh, Houston against Brian Harson, uh, and that's pretty much it because everyone else has transferred away from yeah. Auburn. Everyone's uh, gone. <laughs> Tank Bigsby's gone. Bo Nix is going to Oregon. Um, and yet Auburn's still a two-and-a-half-point favorite. There's star cornerback, um, starter uh, Zacoby McLean at linebacker, who you might remember from our bowl game last year. Um, there's a couple of offensive linemen, a, a defensive end, a safety, a backup running back. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's a festival. And, I mean, like I, – like, Auburn aspires for a lot more than the Birmingham Bowl. You can imagine there's not a lot of success there. They've still got you know a fair amount of talent um, on the other side of of uh, of the uh, of the field here. Um, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. The coach for for Houston. Oh, terrible God. hair. Oh my God, used to be West Virginia. Yes. Anyway, he's he's got a horrible track record in bowl in bowl games, but. Um, He'll have to like Houston will have to do some some really crazy stuff to screw this up. I think their all American corner is sitting out, but other than that, like this this looks to be a game where where Houston notches kind of a big a big deal win and Auburn doesn't care. The other thing, of course, too, is uh, Echo Leota, right? I I assume he's playing in this game. 
He finished the season second on Auburn in sacks. I think he had six sacks um, and has a chance to add to that this game. So best of luck. Dana Holgerson. Thank Holgerson. you is the name you're looking for. Good grief. I, I'm just, old people. Yeah. Uh, 215 on ESPN. Uh, you got the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl in uh, – that's got to be SMU Stadium, right? Uh, Ford Stadium in Dallas? Uh, you got Air Force against Louisville. Louisville, a one and a half point favorite. I know. I kind of like. I kind of like Air Force in this. You know. Yeah, I do. I do too. Honestly, like Louisville has been uninspiring all year. Um, not not a ton of intel on this, other than Louisville's bringing back their QB and coach. Uh, so presumably both will be in the game. They lost a couple receivers, but I just like they've been uninspiring. And this game, I mean, it's usually not like warm in Dallas on December 28th. Like this could be, they could be kind of cold. And I think air force might be up for it. Well, also air force pretty close to being undefeated this season, right? They had a four point loss to Utah state, six point loss to San Diego state, seven point loss to army. Um, Now they've played a fair amount of close games, but this is a very good football team. I mean, this is a team, the, the Navy team that beat army Air Force beat them 23-3. to So I think this is a strong Air Force team, and I think they're going to have Louisville. Uh, 545 Central on ESPN. You got the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, uh, or you can call it the Mike Leach Bowl. Uh, Mississippi <laughs> State versus Texas Tech in Memphis. Uh, Mississippi State, a nine-point favorite. I feel like Mike Leach just has a, a vendetta against Texas Tech. He still thinks they owe, they owe him some money. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, He's been claiming that they owe him a lot of money. He so, seems I, he seems very angry at Texas Tech, at players that opt out, at a whole lot of stuff. Um, I I I think he will be fine in this bowl game, in part because Texas Tech is like, I not, I, I, not I assume I assume they're still reeling from the from the news that Quinn Evers is going to uh, uh, UT and not to Lubbock. You're right. That's right. Um, also, too, like the SEC West. I mean, it's kind of cliched, but. I mean, the SEC West was quite strong this year. And Mississippi State, you know, they finished 7-5, and five, but they were in a lot of big games and played a lot of strong football. And I think, yeah, they are just the better team here. Uh, 7 p.m. on Fox, uh, you've got the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl playing at Petco Park. Um, I guess uh, the old Jack Murphy Stadium is no more. I think I think that's where they're building San Diego State's new stadium. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I, I think I remember seeing that, um, which is why San Diego State played their entire season in L.A. At, in Carson. But that that's either here nor there. You got UCLA and North Carolina State. Uh, NC State, a one-point favorite. Um, and NC State was objectively way better this year. Um, I mean, yeah, UCLA made some noise at the beginning of the season. Uh, Chip Kelly, like there was rumors that he was in the mix for the Oregon job, which seemed insane for a whole lot of different reasons. Um, but I just, I like, it's it's close to home. It's an easy drive. San Diego's beautiful. Maybe UCLA will be up for this, but this this feels like NC State is just like has more motivation, has more to play for. I don't know. Oh, I mean, and NC State, they were a shootout, you know, back and forth game against Wake that they lost by three from playing in and quite possibly winning the ACC. So, I mean, yeah, everyone knows the ACC was down this year, but NC State was easily one of the best three teams in the conference. So I, 
I guess though that is the other side of the coin, right? They could be like kind of smarting from that and be like, oh man, like we could have been, you know, knocking on the door of the New Year's Six or whatnot. I'm certainly curious about the effect or lack thereof of the whole Chip Kelly thing, right? And Oregon and how much was actually there, there. Like Oregon was going after him. Like what actually went down there? Like to what extent was he, you know, interested in those kind of overtures and fielding those kind of things? I mean, I guess we won't know, but um, I'm curious to see, you know, what effect, if anything, that has on on uh, UCLA's mentality in this game. All right, and uh, 9.15 p.m. on ESPN, uh, first Big Ten game. Uh, we got the guaranteed rate bowl at Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona, West Virginia against Minnesota. I think y'all are going to want to tune in for this. Yeah. I think this is going to be pretty interesting. Um, I like Minnesota a lot in this game. Uh, a, they haven't lost much. I, you know, I think they had a pretty good season, all things considered, with the injuries to to Ibrahim and, and et cetera, et cetera. Like, and then maybe most interestingly, they have rehired Kirk Chiraka, their offensive coordinator that did such good work with PJ Fleck a couple years ago. Who they hired him away from West Virginia, so he's not coaching in this game. But like, he spent the last however many months with West Virginia and has now spent the last however many weeks at Minnesota. Interesting thing about West Virginia that's kind of interesting in this game because obviously, people who watched us play Minnesota, you know, heard us preview Minnesota. You know about their offensive line. You know that the way that they operate, right? Um, it bears mentioning West Virginia beat Iowa State, who I would say is maybe the closest team on their schedule, you know, the closest amalgam. And granted, it was a 38-31 game, but you look at some of the games, like West Virginia lost to Oklahoma, but they only gave up 13 points, right? Um, gave up 23 points to Texas Tech, um, 17 points to TCU, 24 points to Oklahoma State, right? So it's a pretty solid defense, um, and they may show out better than the Gophers than you might expect, but still I expect the, the Gopher offensive line to kind of carry the day. Uh, Tanner Morgan back for his 20th season, um, coming back next year. I, six six years, right? Is this like a, per, Scuzz, is this like a purple people eaters thing where he becomes a Supreme Court justice now? Like, how does it, <laughs> how does it work? <laughs> I, I forget if I mentioned Minnesota is a four and a half point favorite in that game. Turning our attention to Wednesday, December 29th, you've got the Wasabi Fenway Bowl, SMU versus Virginia. Um, Virginia it's, it's two sponsored and a half by favorite. Wasabi? First, first yes. of all, is it okay, sponsored okay. by like the plant? Like what is... It is like, not sponsored by the plant. It's not sponsored by horseradish. Uh, Wasabi is a cloud uh, a, a cloud storage uh, business solutions thing located in Boston. So it, it's, a, it's a local Boston company. Um, quite disappointed right now i i i know nothing about this company that's a stupid name for a cloud (laughs) company i really wanted to believe that it was like part of this like conglomerate that got together and was like enough of dying horseradish green (laughs) and mixing it with mustard powder like you either have real wasabi or you don't like a bunch of farmers you know like angrily holding their root vegetable Anyway. Yeah, like like the uh, like the almond bowl or what like 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 wasabi was was wasabi purists unite. That would be amazing, <laughs> right? And, and and you know what? I'm just going to choose to believe that that's what. Although it is. although Boston is really not the place to make your mark if you're uh, the wasabi conglomerate. 
you, you're probably you're probably looking at the uh, at a at a game in Yankee Stadium or maybe Wrigley. The interesting thing about Virginia is they've got a bunch of guys in the portal right now, and if you follow Northwestern recruiting circles, like a bunch of guys in the portal that Northwestern fans are interested in us potentially taking out of the portal. So I find that that piece of it kind of amusing as much as anything. Well, what's also interesting is um, the, some of the coaching stuff. So Bronco Mendenhall, the coach of Virginia, is retiring. This is his last game. Um, is he retiring or is he quote retiring? I think he's retiring. Mean, that dude's old. Okay. I think he's. I think he's done. Um, like Virginia, I think are really going to want to try to send him off. Um, but then the expectation was that Anthony Poindexter was going to, you know, take over as head coach. But he's uh, he's the co the co DC right now. But he's going to Penn State. Um, so, or I'm sorry, he's the co-defensive coordinator at Penn State. He was going to be coming to take over. There's rumors he was going to be taking the head coaching job, but now he's staying at, at, at Penn State. So I, it's just, it's all sorts of, of, of kookiness. Um, and then Clemson's offensive coordinator is maybe the next head coach there. I, I don't know what's going on, but it's just, there's, there's, there's like send off Bronco Mendenhall and then a lot of confusion thereafter. And this, this just feels like a giant question mark game. Um, You've got two. I saw. I, I think Adam Rittenberg was previewing this game and said he can't. He can't trust SMU because it's a team from the South going to Boston. And I was like, well, Virginia is also a team from the South going to Boston. So, um, that, like, it's going to be cold and unpleasant for both those squads. I just, I just have to say, Virginia is six and six, but they beat Illinois forty-two fourteen and they beat Duke forty-eight nothing. So I'll see myself out. 115 on ESPN. You got the New Era Pinstripe Bowl. Um, I guess they're doing a couple baseball bowl, baseball stadium bowls back to back. Maryland and Vatek in Yankee Stadium. This is the one. The New Era Wasabi Pinstripe Bowl. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Mar- yeah. I mean, yeah. Maryland Vatek. Maryland is a three and a half point favorite. I assume we have Talia in this game. I I would imagine. I mean, he's he's not graduating. I mean, I'm just like, I mean, it's it's really funny because it's almost more of a statement about Virginia Tech. Because if there's one thing we saw, is that Maryland can absolutely put up points, or they can not put up points and get just like the tar kicked out of them. Because I think there's that time when it's like you want to believe you watch Talia do Talia things out there and you're like look like Maryland can play track meet football with whomever and then there was like a whole wing of teams on their schedule this year where they just they didn't do anything they just got smoked on both sides of the ball so um, I would imagine he's probably good for 300 yards but I I don't know I kind of feel like Virginia Tech's probably the better team there yeah I think they are but then so Maryland doesn't really have any opt-outs or transfers that matter but on the other side, you've got Braxton Burmeister, the QB from Virginia Tech, is is transferring. Um, you've got five guys sitting out to prepare for the draft. Uh, there's a there's um, a receiver that's uh, that's gone. The backup QBs in the transfer portal and it's, Ryan it's a bit of a mess. Smith and, and Ryan Smith. Right. Yeah. Good point. Well, I mean, who is even coaching them? I mean, because they fired Justin Fuente. Uh, yeah, interim they're... head coach J.C. Price. Okay. Yeah, and well, maybe. Maybe Brent. this is all a recipe. Hey, let's put it this way. No more Ryan Smith, you know, leading the charge. Sage wisdom. Talia just carves up the secondary and Maryland pulls out a win. <laughs> there you go. 4.45 p.m. Central on ESPN. You've got the Cheez-It Bowl 
at Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Clemson and Iowa State. Um, oh, you know, what what's the over under on this game? What do you think it is? Uh, it, yeah. It's forty four. Forty four. Wow. Yeah, twenty two to twenty two sounds about right for this one. There, it's. I mean, in all honesty, um, Iowa State may have the edge here, and I know Clemson kind of got like you know sort of got their heads out a little bit the farther they got into the season. Um, and, uh, you know, they had that big game against Wake. And that game ran so counter to so much of, like, the rest of the season. And then, you know, a South Carolina team that kind of did not know what it was doing to finish the season. So, I mean, they've they've kind of found their way a little bit. But, you know, like, I'd say let's not start celebrating just yet. Like, this Clemson team was such a train wreck for such a big part of this season. And... Iowa State is, you know, this is a team that I think can play, definitely can play some good defense and can run the ball too. So um, there, there's just so many missing components on both sides for me that this is like Justin Ross won't play for for Clemson. I think he's hurt. Uh, Venables is gone. What about as, Hall? Is Hall as a coach? So Brees Hall is is uh, sitting out. Um, oh, well, Purdy's geez. playing, but he's going to be without two of his two of his receivers, uh, Skates and Milton. So, like, it's just, yeah, I just don't know. 40, 44 is a charitable. Lot. I, like, I'm the under is looking pretty darn good in that one. I don't think that's <laughs> going to be the most fun game to watch. Let's just put it that way. Eight uh, fifteen p.m. on ESPN. You've got the Alamo Bowl. Um, shockingly enough, in the Alamo Dome. In San Antonio, uh, Oregon and Oklahoma, um, it, line OU by minus four and a half. That, that's helpful. The, this is almost one of those games where I'm almost like Vegas should just be like pull the line. Like I'm just like like what is going on with these two teams? I can't even like right like they're both transitioning coaches. Like these are two good teams that are both moving on to new coaches and like this great. Bob Shuffle. Stoops. Well, yeah. Here's the here's the thing, though, is like interim coach uh, Brian McClendon doesn't have the same sort of sway that interim coach Bob Stoops has, and I think these Oklahoma players are going to be jacked up to play yeah, for come, a legend, and I how, think they're going to smoke the Ducks. That's it's definitely a. I I, I definitely get it. Um, they should. Have, I, th- I think I think the Oklahoma players are also probably all really effing pissed at Lincoln Riley, and are out for to, like to prove something. Yeah, it's possible. Like, definitely true. And I don't know, like, Oregon, there were times where I really thought Oregon's offense was going to step up in kind of a level that they never really did. I think Anthony Thomas, I mean, Anthony Brown was kind of part of that, where at the end of the day, I think I kind of expected that there was going to be a little bit more out of him than we ended up seeing this year. And yeah, I think you're probably right that this is, Oklahoma's probably going to come out. And, And, you know, Oregon... Granted, it's by the same team, but Oregon's been absolutely pasted in two of their last three games. Yes, both were by Utah, but, I mean, they were destroyed in those two games. And I wouldn't be surprised if Oklahoma does something similar. Moving on to Thursday, December 30th, uh, you've got the Dukes Mayo Bowl uh, at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. 10.30 a.m. on ESPN, North Carolina versus South Carolina. Do they have a stronger trophy this year? I sure hope so. Um, I, I think that uh, there's 
there was some chatter last year, like they they wanted people to dump uh, Mayo on the winning coach. Um, that didn't happen. Ugh. But they, I think they came back this year and said that there was uh, like a prize or maybe an NIL there if anyone dumps Mayo on the winning coach. <laughs> Call paging Joe Spivak. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I have I, I like. Uh, quarterback Sam Howell is playing for North Carolina, and that is all I need to know. That I think the Tar Heels are going to smoke South Carolina, who have had a grad assistant playing QB for most of the year. Yeah, I was going to. I don't know. I I don't know where I thought this, but for some reason I was. I don't know. I had it in my head that like Luke Doty had gone into the portal, and I guess I must be wrong about that. Um, J- Jason Brown did. Okay, um, but yeah, South South uh, Carolina, yeah. I think they're going to be overmatched in this one for sure. At 2 p.m. East or 2 p.m. Central on ESPN, the Trans Perfect Music City Bowl, and in Nashville you got Tennessee versus Purdue. So, home game for oh, Tennessee. Man. This this would have been a fun matchup. Aren't it like how many guys for Purdue are not? Well, the the game? two that matter. George Karloftis and David Bell are both sitting Which, out. I mean, they're that's looking. All, at, that's they're of course they as, are. I mean, as they should be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's all that matters. And um, Purdue is toast as a result. Yeah, I mean O'Connell's coming back, so O'Connell will be there. You know, their defense played better this year, but I like playing a, ver- a veritable home game against a what was an improved Tennessee squad this year. I like just no chance. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it stinks for Purdue that they're losing these guys. Do they have Milton Wright in this game? Um, presumably, yeah. So I mean, that's his big moment, right? As the the number one guy. I mean, well, he certainly had a big game against us, but um, yeah. I mean, mainly it's just yeah. You're obviously you're missing two monster talents, but yeah, those guys, especially Carl Loftus. I mean, you're hearing name, you're hearing talk of him being as high as a top five pick right now. So yeah, you got to stay out. No need to <laughs> go play in a random bowl game in Nashville. Uh, you got the first New Year's Six game, um, six o'clock on ESPN. Uh, the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl in Atlanta, uh, Pitt and Michigan State. Uh, no Kenneth Walker for Michigan State. Uh, no Kenny Pickett for Pitt. Yeah, I mean it's, it's it's too bad this is a New Year's Six game because it just like it lost its two marquee names right there, and I like everyone was expecting Pickett to just throw for a mile and a half against Michigan state in this game, given how susceptible they were to the pass last year uh, or this year. And with him sitting out, it's now a giant question mark. Uh, I think Jalen Naylor has been banged up for Michigan state. So they're not like there's uncertainty if he's going to play or not, but um, this really feels like it's anyone's game. I just don't do not know what Pitt has in the tank behind Pickett and without Kenneth Walker, who, you know, when he didn't play well, Michigan state typically didn't play well. So it's who knows at this stage, right? Yeah. It's, it stinks for that reason. And I mean, again, it's like there was, you know, below a certain level and it stinks because it is new Year's six and probably they go to the CFP or something, right? Michigan state, like Walker's definitely playing in those games. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, 100%. And, and I think, like, almost as an extension of that, for both Pitt and Michigan State, I think there was a hope that either of them in their bowl would get a chance to match up against another Blue Blood program, right, from another conference. And instead, they're matched up against each other, where on one hand, one of them gets to put yet another feather in the cap. But it's almost kind of like, oh, look, you were, like, both these great stories this year, and now you get to play each other in a bowl game. And it's kind of like a, like, 
we between that and the guys who are sitting out, like you wish for something better for these teams. But again, whichever of them wins is going to have a hell of a season coming out of this. There's no doubt about that. Pat Narduzzi Bowl. Yep. Is, is this the first time they played since Narduzzi's been at uh, Pitt? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Uh, Michigan State is a two and a half point favorite in that one. Uh, finishing up uh, the 30th, and I, we're going to leave it there. So this is the last one we're going to talk about tonight. You've got the Las Vegas Bowl. I no idea what SRS distribution is, but that's whose name is on the title. In Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada, you got Wisconsin and Arizona State. Wisconsin, a seven-point favorite. I mean, the Badgers kind of figured it out toward the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they obviously lost that game against Minnesota. Um, when you slow down their running attack, their passing game ain't much to look at. I mean, this, we've been, this is what we've been saying since day one of the season. Their defense is really effing good. I like Arizona State's going to be without a couple of, of key running backs, and I just don't see how they slow down the Badgers' run game. This feels pretty academic to me. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you're you're kind of right. Like they're the I don't know. Like I I could go either way, right? Because you did see times right where the Badgers seem to be found finding it down the stretch, and then again, it's kind of like ugh. But you. As we said at the end of the season, like they were one of a group of teams where it's like as as much as it seemed like they were finding it toward the end of the year in places like that's yet another team where if we would have beaten them, they would have been seven and five. Right. So they're I don't know, like you're right. I mean, they probably will be able to come out and, you know, really do something against that Arizona State defense. Um, But to me, that line seems pretty fair. Like, I think, you know, I, I have the Badgers in this one, but not by a mile. So uh, next week, we will pick it up with the New Year's Eve games, um, talk about the the playoff, talk about uh, New Year's Day games, and, and then the final game of the of the bowl season. Um, we'll pick that up next week. Uh, anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight, guys? Just funny listening to all the sponsors of all of these games. And then it's to the point where I hear Valero Alamo Bowl, and I'm like, Oh, Valero, they've been around for a little while. Kind of some some tradition attached to the Valero Alamo Bowl compared to every other one of these games where I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Who is this spot? Wasabi? What? Like, it's I'm like... still so disappointed it's not like Wasabi. I know. I, I know. <sighs> oh, well, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates. And you can email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Skazba, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.